In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to remember the final verse from Moses' song in Deuteronomy throughout the sermon. So please turn to page 6 in your bulletin. And we'll read together the final verse of the Old Testament reading, beginning at see now. Beginning at see now. So let's read that together. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Thank you. Welcome to God's great and holy week. And we seem to have begun this week with a parade. With the children leading the way in front. Exclaiming the words of Psalm 118, Hosanna, short for, save now, we pray, O Lord. But did you hear the silence? Did you hear Jesus' silence? Throughout our Palm Parade Gospel, he doesn't say a word, not a peep. It's much like the dead at their own funeral. Why is Jesus silent? As those who saw him raise a dead man shout their praises, Jesus says nothing. Verse 16 might give us a clue. The disciples didn't understand what was going on with this apparent parade. Isn't it fairly obvious? Jesus is entering Jerusalem, the city of God, as one who has raised the dead. That's something only the Messiah might be able to do. And the crowd acknowledges it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. But the disciples really didn't understand. Perhaps this isn't a triumph parade after all. You see, Jesus had led the ultimate anti-funeral procession, when he walked to Lazarus's tomb and called the putrid, three days dead man to come forth. And Jesus made the victory over death look easy. And here's the parade of the death conqueror. But Jesus keeps silent. Won't join the celebration, Jesus? Won't acknowledge the praises of those who say you did something that no one but God could do? Now, to explain Jesus' inexplicable behavior, we need, in Paul Harvey's inimitable words, the rest of the story. 
Jesus' good friend Lazarus has died. Jesus knows it, and when Mary comes and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died, Jesus is deeply moved. He weeps. The death of his friend wounds Jesus' heart. Now, for all of us, death is a form of leave-taking saying our final goodbyes, but not for Jesus. He comes to the tomb still deeply moved, and after commanding the stone to be rolled away, he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. No wonder the crowds are claiming him. Here is one who knows a different way of handling death. By a word, the glory of God, he defeats it. But herein lies the rub. It's not that easy. For you see, the wages of sin is death. One word suffices for Lazarus, at least for now. But Lazarus will die again. Lord, have mercy. Can you imagine having to die twice? There has to be a better plan for dealing with death. So Jesus isn't going to join the revelry prematurely. No exultant parading around for Jesus who just wept at Lazarus' grave. No Cardinals, Budweiser, Clydesdale entrance on opening day for Jesus. He'll come into Jerusalem on a donkey, a lowly beast of burden. And perhaps that's because Jesus is carrying a burden himself. After all, six days before he was paraded into Jerusalem, Mary had taken a large amount of nard, very expensive, and anointed Jesus' feet. Jesus said, let her do so for the day of my burial. The day of my burial. A burden indeed. And after the parade into Jerusalem, a group of Greek Jews, they have a holy longing. They want to see Jesus. And when Jesus meets with them, he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If it dies, if it falls into the earth and dies, only then does it bear much fruit. you get the picture? This is no triumphant parade for Jesus, and no one sees it. It's a funeral procession. That's the rest of the story. One great big funeral procession. There's the sum of your earthly journey. Admit it. Sometimes it feels like that. You don't want to acknowledge it. You don't want to feel it. 
And yet, it doesn't take much for you to sense that you are in the midst of this long, winding procession to your own grave. My wife Cindy really likes being, dislikes being cold. Often at night or in the morning, she is prone to lament, it's really cold. Why does it have to be so cold? It's a cry along that procession, a marker of lament for what lies in our shadowy future. You don't have to look far. The unwelcome cold of days in April, in your social media, on the multitude of streaming platforms and programs, we've all seen the images of that Ukrainian mother abundantly pregnant, being carried on a stretcher from deadly bombing in Mariupol, Ukraine. And we have mourned, perhaps even wept, at hearing of her death and of that of her unborn child. And then there's the searing images in our own minds and in our hearts, the last images we have of those we have known, lived with, embraced, and loved, brothers and sisters in faith and family. There is no escaping those images. Nothing can erase them. There they lie, a cold, lifeless body, not on a bed, but in a coffin. Death will have the final word. And we can't hold back the tears. Whether inside or outside, they will flow. We will weep. His disciples did not understand these things. It's no different for us. We want to have a parade, and Jesus insists on having a funeral procession. That's because we think we can deal with death. Death in Ukraine? Ah, deterrence will work, won't they? People will respect the Geneva Conventions. We, we can force things into negotiations. We're weeping over those who have died before our very eyes. Just one day at a time, we say, I can heal myself. I will get through this. We want to make a parade. But Jesus says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. How can you say that, Jesus? How could it be blessed for a woman not to bear a child, not to be the bearer of life? But we don't understand, do we? What we fail to understand is that death resides in us. We're the source of death. In grasping for life and seeking to provide life for ourselves, we have denied the source of life. We have rejected the one who is life itself. And in exchange, death has arisen in us from 
us. We have seeded the ground with death and dug our own graves. Now do you understand? That's why Jesus said nothing as he rode a donkey into the city of God. This pilgrimage to Jerusalem, this journey to Golgotha, had to be a funeral procession. The grain of wheat had to fall into the earth and die so that it might bear the fruit of life. Jesus processes to die so that when he is raised up on the cross, he might draw all people to himself, all the walking dead, to his life. Through his baptism into death, death has met its match. One victor will emerge from the deadly battle. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So, truly, truly blessed are you when you weep now, for you will laugh. Death that surrounds you, the death that springs out from you, is a tool in God's hand. And no one can escape from his hand. Only the hand of God can kill and make alive, and he has done it for you. This great and holy week is the final funeral procession. Your final funeral procession. Because here in Jesus' funeral procession, you know the end of your earthly funeral procession, where it will be. Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, death still laps at our heels, and so we will lament and weep, but always surrounded by shouts of victory. You see, it's a New Orleans-style funeral procession, brothers and sisters. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This final funeral procession is the Lord's doing. And it is oh so marvelous in our eyes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.